I think the positive on this is more venture capital investors are beginning to accept and realize that you could build deep science and tech from India. People still understand that the risk is high and may not always be underwritable. And in the short term, the next two, three quarters, I think there is a lot of attention that's being paid to sectors that are aligned towards policy frameworks that are supporting them. Then there is at least a guidance that these sectors get the right attention, the right capital, the right framework and the right ecosystem support. I think most people are wary that they may not be a fairly large and evolved deep tech ecosystem. And they're right, it can't be evolved because it's just getting started. Hi, wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to Forbes India's Tech Conversations, where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs, CXOs and investors. I'm Hari Arakli. As India readies its own deep tech startups policy, this is episode 2 in a short series of conversations with some of the entrepreneurs and VC investors who are building this ecosystem in the country. In this episode, Vishesh Rajaram, founding managing partner at Speciale Invest, talks about why more investors have figured out that deep science and tech-based ventures can be built in India. While the sector is in its infancy, Vishesh points to examples, including from his own portfolio, of such startups that have made significant strides towards commercialization. Vishesh, uh, welcome back. Good to be speaking with you again and on our favorite topic of uh, deep tech. And also because I think today there's a lot of excitement in India over tech startups a lot more than a few years ago. Uh, many factors, and we were just talking about this offline, many factors seem to be coming together as well. So maybe we could, just for folks who may not know about your work, uh, we could just start with a very brief, quick background around Speciale, and then we'll go from there. Hari, firstly, thank you very much for having us back on your show and giving us an opportunity to bounce our thoughts off with you. My name is Vishesh Rajaram. I'm the co-founding partner at Special Invest. We're a pre-seed seed fund that's investing in deep science and enterprise technologies. We've been in existence now for the last six years, made about 35 plus investments, manage over $70 million of assets. It's an exciting time to be in India. It's an exciting time to do deep science and tech, um, given the geopolitical environment, given the policy support and just the spirit of entrepreneurship that this country has seen in the last decade. I think it's a great time to be around. So I'm most happy to be in conversation with you today. So maybe you can tell us a bit about uh, just an update on developments, um, investments at Speciale over the last, say, 12, six months, just to get into what's been happening, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so we, uh, just as background, we did our first fund in 2018, we raised our second fund in 21, 22, and we've also been building up an annex fund in 23. Uh, So work has been active in terms of raising capital, building out our thesis. In terms of our focus areas or practice sectors, uh, on the enterprise side, they've been you know, largely two buckets. One is, you know, SaaS products, Gen AI, and the other is dev tools. On the deep science uh, practice, we've sort of evolved to four themes. One is 
you know, fossil fuel transition, as I call it loosely, can also be called clean tech or climate tech, where, you know, anything under EV, uh, EV OEMs, battery, battery recycling, uh, renewable water, green hydrogen, all sort of fall under that bucket. We have a second theme, which is industry tech, where robotics, semiconductors, quantum security, all sort of fall under. The third bucket is uh, space, and we've been an early mover in that back in 2018. We've got companies building rockets, building satellites. More recently, companies even pursuing in-space maintenance. And the fourth so bucket where we've done less work from you know purely making investments, but a lot of groundwork in terms of understanding the landscape and opportunities on the synthetic biology side. I think the biggest learning, Hari, is there's a lot of learnings you learn from your own portfolios because they are micro insights. They are insights which not everybody has. They're insights that you will not find in a research report. And that allows you often to find your next big opportunity. Yeah, to give you an example, you know, our most recent investment in the space sector is a company called InSpaceity. This is two PhDs out of IIT Bombay who sort of come out to essentially build a product that has the capability to be in orbit and to service, repair, provide end-of-life support to satellites. Now, this is an insight that we built upon having learned from you know, the world of Agnikul and Galaxy, one that builds rockets to take satellites, the other one that builds satellites, to then understand that the number of satellites that are going to be in orbit in the coming future is exponential versus where they are today. And equally importantly, there's a fairly large and significant percentage of these satellites that either face problems or need end-of-life support. And the business model allows for an intervention to provide nonlinear financial returns for satellite operators. Now that led us to now invest in, in SpaceX, right? Uh, New Trace, which is of course a company that helps produce green hydrogen. A lot of insights from the lithium world where we've done a fair amount of work to show that lithium is mainstream and a very strong chemistry that will be here to stay but it's insufficient to address all our needs. So you have to look for alternate sources. And green hydrogen being a fairly large and significant opportunity to pursue. So there's both outward learning and inward learning. The inward learning is what I would call semi-proprietary because that's not out in the open. So yeah, before we started recording, you know, we were discussing about how on the one hand, there's a sense of difficulties because of the slowdown, while on the other hand, because of the various things that are coming together in India around the semiconductor ecosystem, you know, large companies like Apple taking a bigger interest, the whole geopolitical China plus one strategy and some of these things coming together. So the flip side could also be that, you know, more more investors maybe looking at uh, the deep tech opportunity in India. So maybe we start with the the sort of the first one, which kind of looks more obvious to everyone, especially over the last nine to six months as the slowdown kind of uh, hit. Um, can you walk us through any kind of, you know, brainstorming sessions you might have had with your portfolio founders? 
Yeah, I think you see if you step back and look at what's happening from a pure first principle standpoint, Hari, this is not the first time we are having a winter, right? The reasons for winter may vary, but the fact that you mm. have a winter anywhere between five, seven to ten years is now accepted as a reality. So there is no reason to panic if you're, you know, if you're a VC and you've been in market for a few decades, then you know this happens. The important element is to be a little reflective on what has changed. In my mind, cost of capital has gotten more expensive than before. Which meant if you took a dollar 18 months ago and you did X, you're expected to do X plus something now with the same dollar because a dollar has gotten expensive. Number two, a lot of the assumptions of consumer customer behavior, and when I use the word consumer customer, I, I refer to both B2C as well as B2B, has undergone a significant transition change in the last three years, right? Pre-COVID, COVID, post-COVID. Be it someone buying uh, you know, a bag of milk, be it someone buying a software product, the way they think think about their budgets, etc., has changed. And today, in an environment where everybody's dollar is expensive and everybody has to do a lot more with that, everybody is going to tighten decision making, their own purchases, etc. What that essentially translates is your growth projections will have to be revised, reconsidered. Now, that's just not an assumption in a piece of Excel file, right? There's an underlying organization that you've built. There's a style of operating that you've had. And all of this has to undergo significant change fairly quickly. And I think that's why you, we, see, we see a lot of news around you know, people letting go of people, people reducing costs, focusing on operational profitability, etc. Because capital is no longer cheap. Capital was never cheap, but I think it was just an interim phase where it appeared to be cheap. So I think that's what's possibly led to some frenzy, some readjustment across the board and across the ecosystem. And of course, some sectors go out of flavor, some sectors come into flavor. And all of that is fairly normal in the, in the world of venture capital, except that it's all happening much faster the cycles are shorter. They're all getting truncated, just given how fast the world is moving. So what that really means from an entrepreneur standpoint is I think you have to be very circumspect of how you want to use your resources, what expectations you set for your stakeholders, and be very realistic of you know, what risk your companies carry, what risks you're able to kill with progress and how you diversify access to capital. Can you sort of delve into the next level and talk about what are some of the challenges that are unique to deep tech startups? And then after that, we can also maybe talk about if there are any India-specific challenges. I mean, I know those are multiple conversations, but just to kind of touch upon some of these ideas. See, the... The biggest stigma risk associated with doing deep tech companies 
is the gestation period it takes mm. to prove technological efficacy and market acceptance. In other words, it takes a certain amount of time to get your first revenues. Right? Sometimes it can be 18 months, sometimes it can be four years. Now, traditionally, venture capital in India has always used revenue and customer as guardrails to underwrite the risk of the business. Now, the challenge here is that there is a certain amount of uncertainty which may not be underwritable, understandable. On your path to building a very innovative, disruptive product, that may have a customer only at the end of three or four years. Then the risk becomes a little unquantifiable, you know, from a top-down level. And often the challenging path the founder has to take is how do you look at risk bottom-up as against top-down? How do you break down the risk in different phases? And how do you show proof of technological efficacy at different scales. And continue to get to the path of revenues and high, high gross margin, high profitability soon enough to access a broader spectrum of capital. Can, can you give us some examples of um, the kinds of measures that your portfolio founders have been putting in place and across different stages? I mean, I get that by and large in India's nascent deep tech ecosystem, most startups are uh, at best at the early commercial stage. Uh, many are in still early stage. Some are still developing their products. Um, some have prototypes and so on. Uh, there may be a few examples of early commercialization. Uh, can you give us a sense of what they've been doing over the last six, nine months? Uh, from the point of view of, like you said, one, keeping a careful eye on cash flow and the other, uh, not sort of uh, dropping the ball in terms of developing their products and you know continuing to find ways of growing if possible. See, we have to keep in mind that in deep science and tech, you're building technologies that either don't exist or that are very hard to build. Yeah. Or whose time has come now than ever before. Which means... There is only so much you can squeeze on product development cycles. What I mean to say is that it will take time to build, right? You're not going to be able to put more manpower. Let's say if it's a software product, there are more people working on it. There could be a shorter cycle to turn around it. That may not necessarily be this case if you want to scale a you know, synthetic biology product from you know, in the lab to scale it. It will take some time. It will take a certain number of iterations to get it right. So what you then want to optimize is reducing the risk of multiple iterations and failure, which means you build strong systems and processes, documentation, just strengthen foundational systems in your own company so that your engineering approach is reasonably sound. The process is sound. The technology is still nascent, right? But the approach to it should be fundamentally sound that allows you to reduce the number of iterations or errors you'll have. Stay on top of cash flow, of course, and make sure you have enough runway before you get to your next phase. Most importantly, 
start talking to customer so early on that you possibly have some very early pilots and design partners. Customer knowledge is often underrated and understated. The amount you learn from how they use, what they use, why they use, often can give rise to a lot of your own competitive modes. So I think the message is increasingly let's engage more with customers. We may not be ready, but maybe there's an opportunity to do a pilot. Maybe there's an opportunity to understand their value chain even more deeply than we have in the past. So from a first principle level, the approach then becomes turn more unopened cards to understand, read them, and recalibrate and reduce the risk of your organization on the technology side, on the market side, and on the customer side. Do you have any early examples of uh, startups, I mean, whether within your portfolio or ones that you've come across, where people have seen that the tech that they're building has gotten potential customers quite excited about it? I mean, I mean, 10 years ago, even a software product company from India was more or less unheard of, um, barring a couple of examples. Today, deep tech is probably in that state where I don't think anyone expects a very sophisticated, deeply engineered hardware product coming out of India. And I'm sure that will change in the coming years. But at this stage, any any instances of uh, some companies that come to your mind where uh, they've met with a lot of customer enthusiasm and given that by definition, deep tech companies are, they have to compete globally. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the classic one that comes to my mind, uh, two of them that actually come to my mind. One is Ultraviolet. Um, you're familiar with them. They have a product now in the market. And this is a product that has uh, global acceptance. Uh, there are n number of inbound inquiries and emails and requests coming in to take the product global. So this is a case where it's a deep engineering product. It's taken its time to come. They haven't rolled out a product in 12 months. They've taken five five years and above to come up with a very high quality product to a market that they understood very well. Let's take another example of a younger company called Nutrace. They're uh, in the hydrogen, green hydrogen business, where I think the market need or the velocity for adoption is just so high that there have been fair amount of inbound customers who possibly help get the first revenues under 15 months from commencement. Because the problem is so deep that a solution, even if it is in its early scale, is still very much accepted because they're also wanting to learn and change how they operate. Mm. It sort of leads us to say, I think one of the elements we look at when we look at deep science or when you want to build a disruptive tech or tech that hasn't existed, is there is a serious amount of weightage given to the velocity of adoption as much as the size of the market. See, today in the energy spectrum, the velocity of adoption is now far higher than ever before. So even if you're not the most sophisticated product to go global for starts, there is still a lot of customer love and attention that you're harnessing that you should benefit of. Explain the significance. Do you mean to say, in particular in deep tech, if you're attacking a problem where there is a lot of interest and demand and 
you'll do better as against an e-commerce company or something? Well, they're two very different businesses. So I think um, comparison may not be appropriate, frankly speaking, because at one end, an e-commerce is a very large market. You've got a change in consumer behavior of buying digital vis-a-vis buying physical, and that's the underlying driver there. And deep tech, I think, operates in its niches. But I think if I look at deep tech in the absolute, greater the pain, faster the adoption, if I were to say. Mm. Or greater the impact, faster the adoption. Like if I were to come tomorrow and, and say I've got a proven, I mean, I've, I've got a battery chemistry that's you know 70% cheaper and more efficient than your existing lithium, you will have a lot of takers to adopt. Mm. As again, someone who comes and says, got something that's 10% cheaper, better. The impact of what product or technology you're building, the greater the impact, sometimes the more compelling the adoption is. Mm. Let's take a hydrogen company, right? The one we spoke about. My sense is green hydrogen today is about 5 to $6. So if someone is going to come and tell you that they're going to reduce it by 40, 50%, even at a very, very small scale, there's enough push to adopt. As against if I were to come and say I'm 10% better, and any India-specific challenges, particularly for deep tech companies, is it the usual sort of lack of tran- translational research, lack of connects with, of course, I know that's changing with many interesting centers in IIT, Bombay, Madras, IIC, but still overall, there's that lack. And is that, is th- or those are the general suspects or are there any specific deep tech challenges? So I'm a, tra- I'm a trained optimist, Hari, you know that. So I'm looking at half glass full. <laughs> Uh, if I had to compare ourselves with China or America, my simple answer would be it's an unfair comparison because the clock has started at different times for different countries. Sure. Given where the clock has started for us, I think if I were to look at half glass full, there is still a lot more work to do on internationalizing ourselves. Mm. I think in many cases, policy becomes a good guard rail to build around it or to build through it or to build with it. The space policy and ISRO for space tech, the semiconductor policy for semiconductors, the quantum policy for quantum tech, the green hydrogen policy for energy, the PLI schemes for battery companies and semiconductor companies. I think these are all good guardrails to have to show that there is strong motivation to build for the world from India. And it's an ambitious task and it will take its time. It'll have its ups and downs. Entrepreneurship is often very understated. It's not underrated anymore. It's understated. It's a very hard job. It's a very hard job to build a company for 10, 15 years and it takes a lot of tenacity. So we'll have our ups and downs, which is powerful course for the evolution of the vintage of deep tech that India is building out of. So I'm not fazzled with it. I think it's just a journey and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to be smart about it so that we don't take the same time as others have. We have to do it faster. But it's, it's a journey of its own. Okay. This is a conversation with the VC investor. So let's talk about funding a little bit. Sure. And, um, I came into the conversation, like you said, thinking intuitively about how the current macro situation makes, means that it must be more difficult, especially for deep tech companies, which need more money upfront and things like that. But um, I'm also kind of quite intrigued by your more nuanced view that 
particularly because of the slowdown people may also be looking at uh, deep tech companies as an opportunity because many other external factors are coming together in india today so in this backdrop just give us a sense of what's the funding scene looking like for your portfolio companies as well as in general deep tech companies in india so let me add a behavioral nuance to this and a market nuance to this and was a lot of this is my own kool-aid hurry you have to keep that in mind sure sectors have times and cycles if you look at consumer in india i think it really started in 2007 2008 and had a decade and a more right all the way till 2021 2022 while there were early saas companies in 2010 and 11 the big moves were from 2014 onwards right and you're seeing that decade play itself out deep tech in its own small crawling way has started to sprout in let's say 2019 2018 and that being fueled with the geopolitical environment which we are now presented in where india is not looked as just another destination but a very serious politically friendly accepted intellectual and capable country and that further supported with some of the policy frameworks that are coming through has really put india as a fairly reasonable contender to spawn technologies for the world from here and i think this decade will then be an interesting decade where you will see great opportunities for manufacturing great opportunities for new technologies potentially a lot of products that could go global that will be accepted from here in the late in the early to mid 90s you saw the license raj change you saw the liberalization come in and pharmaceutical sector was a big winner coming out of it right then you had the it services sector then you have the consumer sector and now you have the it product sector which is a saas sector and i think the next one will be the india deep science and technology framework so that's one one side of the narrative the other side of the narrative also is on the behavioral side that hari when there is success there are more people wanting to be successful and there are more people willing to support people trying to be successful right if you go back to the it services example the successes of the infosys and the wipros of the world gave a certain amount of stability gave a certain amount of manpower back into the system of entrepreneurship and a fairly large amount of capital also into the entrepreneurship right uh, an amount of venture capital money that's possibly come from some of these people in these large companies that have made wealth is also significant now let's take that example to the e-commerce world as well right the fact that you actually had a flipkart and it had a big outcome led to so many people from these companies come up to do companies again and the wealth that was created around it infused confidence into the venture ecosystem also that india has an opportunity the same message was also carried on in the saas world right if you look at freshworks which had you know a good listing in the in the us markets the number of people coming out of the saas organizations to go and build another product and the venture capital money that's willing to support that sector as a result of continued progress and success has a role to play now this will not be any different for deep science and tech 
the success in my view of agnicool and uh, ultraviolet and let's say the new faces of the world will spawn the next generation of deep science and tech both on the entrepreneurial side as well as the venture capital side mm. so that is simply a matter of time and evolution and so on and so forth so i think one way to then look at the narrative is that you have to see these and you have to see more success and more progress coming out of this and hopefully you will you will have more companies coming out now in the sort of really short term of the next 2 3 quarters i mean i just want to get a sense of what funding for deep tech is looking like i know that in the middle of conversations and talks you may not want to give specific names or numbers but give us a central general sense of what you're seeing what you're hearing um you know in terms of is it taking longer to finalize investments uh, are there are people asking for lower valuations just give us a sense of what's happening well, i don't think deep tech has gone through i mean it's still in its nascency that it hasn't seen a need for readjustment mm. right it's not that it's gone through a few cycles of upward trend and someone wants to readjust it because the unit economics of these businesses have changed fact is the unit economics of these businesses are where they are because they are nascent I think the positive on this is more venture capital investors are beginning to accept and realize that you could build deep science and tech from India. Mm. People still understand that the risk is high and may not always be underwritable. And in the short term, the next two three quarters, I think there is a lot of attention that's being paid to sectors that are aligned towards policy frameworks that are supporting them. Mm. and there is at least a guidance that these sectors get the right attention the right capital the right framework and the right ecosystem support hmm well i think most people are wary that they may not be a fairly large and evolved deep tech ecosystem and they're right it can't be evolved because it's just getting started but even within that there could be a few sectors that are a little more evolved either from the customer standpoint or from a value chain standpoint or from a talent standpoint or all of the above and then policy frameworks send sometimes will come a good guidance to say that these things exist so you would see increase traction in some of these allied areas let's say around semiconductor or continue in space or in plis for ev yes overall any sort of final thoughts as we begin to wrap up in terms of the outlook for both your own portfolio companies as well as the deep tech ecosystem in india i think it's nascent but it's all are looking very upward from here so the question is to have the right expectations out of the ecosystem as well and it will take a little time you have to go back to look at where the other nascent ecosystems were in their beginnings right be it saas in 2013 14 or be it e-commerce in 2007 i think we are in a similar stage but there's a there's a there's, there's just a lot more velocity here because there's a policy acceptance there's a change in the global environment and as you rightly said you're not always building for india you're building for the globe from india so with that i think there is a there is optimism in the market for from how we look at it uh performance and traction of our portfolio continue to support that optimism but it will be a steady evolution Okay, very nice, uh, Vishesh. Thank you so much again, sir, for making time for this, and definitely hope to keep the conversation going. 
No, as always, there's uh, so much to exchange and learn from you, Hari. Thanks for the opportunity. That's it for this conversation. I hope you found it interesting. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast app. I'm Hari Arakli. Thank you for listening.